But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning. All right, y'all are more awake than uh, nine o'clock, so uh, that is good. And uh, welcome this morning. My name is Pat Robinson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline. Uh, ben has taken a few days off this week, and he was like, I think I'll take Sunday off too. And we're like, you need it. He's had no days off, and uh, we're getting ready to go into the fall sprint. So it's like, yes, please do that and rest up. Uh, for the fall. Uh, So uh, this morning, uh, as we're in between series, we've just finished up uh, 1 Corinthians. That only took a little over a year. Uh, It was a long but really good and uh, a good study. And uh, before we step into uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we will have a, a couple standalones over the next couple of weeks. And this morning, we obviously will be in chapter ti- uh, Titus, Titus chapter 2. It'll come out in a minute. Uh, and, and so, uh, why the first eight verses of Titus 2? Uh, the timing seemed right for our church. Uh, we are in, like I said, we are entering the fall Uh, Students return, and it's not uh, just college students. Yes, over the next few weeks, we'll have a huge influx of college students. But over the summer, uh, Zach just mentioned that our youth has grown a lot. Uh, Our kids' church, children's church, has grown a lot. And and that that gives us an interesting problem. Uh, how do we teach and train these kids? Uh, with so many young students, how do we care for them? Well, in the book of Titus, uh, Paul is challenging not only uh, the church in Crete, but also us today to grow, to mature, to grow up, to be spiritual fathers and mothers. And... Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to be uh, married or, or a physical father, uh, a biological father. Uh, to be, there are a lot of spiritual fathers in the church, and we're called to grow and to mature into being that. And so, uh, in challenges to do that, the, the whole uh, inseparable link in Titus is faith and practice 
belief, and behavior. What I believe will and does affect my actions and, and how I am my behavior. So watch your why. Why do we believe what we believe and how does that affect our, our actions? We must know what we believe before we can model it to those around us. And so today, as we uh, step into these scriptures, uh, there's three areas that I, in our lives that I want to call us out and uh, that I want to look at because I think scripture calls us to live out and believe this and calls us to be spiritual fathers and mothers. And so we will be all over the Bible today. Most of the scriptures, if you've been in church for any amount of time, will be uh, familiar with it. But I hope uh, we can look at it with fresh eyes this morning. I, I know it's really been on my heart uh, over the last month, last few weeks. Um, so if you would, uh, I'll pray for you if you'll pray for me. And then we'll jump into our scripture. Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, for the gift of your word uh, and that we can uh, be together this morning and, and worship you and, and sing songs and, and worship through prayer and giving. And, and we want to continue that worship in being in your word, Lord. So uh, we pray that our, our minds and our hearts are open. Uh, to what you have to teach us this morning, uh, that through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, you will move and transform our hearts uh, and grow us and mature us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the three areas that I want to look into this morning, uh, look at our lives uh, and how we can uh, be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers as in our homes and families, to our neighbors, and in our workplace. And, and you know, it's obviously it seems natural uh, to start in our homes and families where many of us are biological fathers, but that you don't have to be a biological father to be a spiritual father. And, and so, uh, please don't let that stop you or anyway uh, uh, allow that to keep you from growing into a spiritual father or mother. So, what, is it, what does it look like to teach and live out what we believe in our homes? Uh, what does that look like? And it looks like Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. And like I said, many of these scriptures might be familiar, but I hope God gives us fresh eyes this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them uh, as a sign on your hand. They shall be fr as frontlets between your eyes. 
you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As Paul is calling Titus uh, to teach uh, the older men to mature, the older women to mature, and uh, the younger men to mature as well, he is uh, simply uh, remembering scripture he would have learned as a boy. And he would have been taught as a boy. And as a, as a student of the law, he would have had to memorize this. And this scripture, he would have known inside out. And so he's pointing back uh, to that. And, and so, and reminding them, hey, as mature adults, as spiritual fathers and mothers, uh, we must have a deep, active, growing relationship with Christ. We never just arrive. There's no point that in my life that I will be a perfect spiritual dad uh, to my biological children or to anyone else. I will never be a perfect Christian. I will always be being transformed. And so uh, the question is, how are we being transformed? What's transforming us? And the words in Deuteronomy written thousand years ago remind us first of our relationship with God and our need to remember his word. It's our relationship with God and, and, uh, and his word that needs to be shaping our hearts and our minds and transforming them. And so the first part of that scripture again Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Hebrews 4 tells us that God's word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Our relationship with God and his words must trans transform our own lives before we can pass it on. The reality is we cannot be spiritual fathers and mothers uh, to our own children, our biological children, or our roommates, or, or to anyone else until uh, we are, unless we are constantly being transformed. We must allow God and his Holy Spirit to lead us before we can lead others. And while the first part of the scripture is knowing God and his word intimately, the second portion of that scripture is passing it on. So you, teach, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall be, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, oh, of your house and on your gates. So how do we teach our children? Do we teach our children? Though? Do we talk about Scripture? Do we talk about it uh, when we sit in the house, around dinner, 
when we're on our way, when we lie down and when we rise, do we pray? Do we pray with our kids? Do our kids see us if we are parents praying together as parents? Do we model that? Your children see you in God's word. One of the things, I'm easily distracted. Uh, so when I sermon prep, I always isolate to do that so I can focus. And I years ago, I had a mentor tell me to quit doing that. Uh, and do at least part of that at my kitchen table so my kids would see me do that. And I was like, well, why does that matter? Like, they need to know uh, what it takes for you to prepare something. They need to see that. Good point. And it is true. They, they're going to mimic what we do. And... Uh, do they see how we treat each other? Do they see how we respond to crisis? Do we respond in anxiousness or in confidence of God? Where do we turn? Is our first place to turn? Is it to God's word and to prayer? When things are really hard, is that the first place they see us turn? Do our friends see us turn there? And as moms and dads and as parents, do they see us honor one another? Do they see us care for one another? And to love one another like Christ? The truth is, they, they learn from observing a whole lot more than telling. Uh, you know, to me, teaching my child, was, our children, was a whole lot easier than consistently modeling it. You know, uh, sometimes as a parent, you like to say, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, and uh, that sometimes is so true, but they, they learn from what we do. And uh, I remember a conversation with mine when uh, they were much younger, uh, around 8, 10 uh, after church and we're sitting in the living room talking about the sermon that day and it was on idol and the TV's playing in the background as we're talking and uh, you know what's an idol How, why is that an idol and all kinds of questions coming you know like uh, a couple of kids 8 to 10 and, and so we're answering questions and at, at one point uh my youngest, who was about eight, goes, well, Dad, you got idols in your life. And I'm like, what? You know? And he's like, yeah. He was like, Sports Center was on TV. He said, that's an idol. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you watch it every night. And there's nothing like being called out by an eight-year-old. You know, nothing quite like it, because he was right. At the time, he was right. And he, he had watched me 
watch Sports Center almost every night. He's like, that's idle. And he was so right. And I tell you that story, it just, they observe what we do. You know, they're going to uh, model what they see us model. And so as we, as we uh, live out life with our biological children, we need to consistently, in every aspect of our life, uh, teach and model what it looks like uh, to live a Christ-surrendered life. You know, we just saying, uh, I run to the Father. Do they see us run to the Father? And, and we know at times, uh, depending on age of children, it can be really hard to teach them. Uh, we have an amazing uh, family ministry team uh, with uh, our children's minister and our youth minister. And they research resources all the time to equip parents. They have resources downstairs available. So if ever you need any help, they would love to come alongside you and to uh, uh, get information for you and to help you uh, disciple your child and, and teach them what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so how, that's how we teach and model to our children. As how do we do that to our neighbors? And once again, this is especially for all. How do we do that to our neighbors? How are, are we spiritual fathers and mothers to our Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducee, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer asked him, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Uh, Pastor Ben touched on it a little bit last week as he wrapped up our series in 1 Corinthians where he pointed us uh, to Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all exiles whom I sent into exiles from Jerusalem to, ba to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for it's in your welfare, you will find your welfare. Wherever God has placed you, be present there. 
And right now, God has placed you here in Shawnee. Whether you're a student, whether you lived in Shawnee your whole life, whether you moved to Shawnee for a job, right now, God has placed you in Shawnee. Be fully present there. Build houses. Plant gardens. Grow. And pray for the city. Pray for those around you and care for them. Jordan talked about it in intercession over five years ago. We began as we, shortly after moving into this building, uh, we began praying for the neighborhoods around this building. Um, We had no idea what to expect. We just knew that God had given us this building and we felt called to care for the neighbors. And that we, and the best way we could do that is to pray, to begin by praying. And when we did that, when we started praying over five, there were two families that lived near this building. And what we have seen is God has moved Norman, uh, uh, numerous families into these neighborhoods. The neighborhoods we were praying. And, and multiple families in those who, who lead community groups or host community groups. Currently, there are four within five minutes of this building. In a couple weeks, that'll be six as we multiply groups. Uh, six groups meeting within five minutes of this building where there was nobody living there from this church just five years ago. And it's not that they're just there, uh, living there and that they meet there. The impacts on those groups have been life-changing and life-giving for many. Those groups are caring for neighbors. They're sharing the gospel. And we are seeing neighbors uh, come to know Jesus and put him on in baptism because of those people being moved into those neighborhoods and the relationships they built caring for them. And it all started with just a few people praying. The most powerful thing that we can do to love our neighbors is to pray for them and allow those prayers to move our hearts to action. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Uh, We have seen God do that. As we've continually prayed for neighborhoods, we have seen God begin to heal our land around. And yes, we recently realized our prayers are way too small. Uh, And as a team, as a staff, uh, we've been praying weekly uh, for the neighborhoods where we don't have people living or where we don't have groups meeting. 
We, and we'll continue to pray for them until we have people in. And what God is, what we've witnessed God do is literally uh, lay out our ministry philosophy that we've had from the beginning right before our eyes. He multiplied gospel communities that love God, love people, and are pushing back darkness. And, and we say that all the time. And uh, as we were praying, uh, it happened so suddenly, it took us a while, or so su- subtly, not suddenly. Uh, it took a while uh, for us to even realize what was happening. And that's really been sweet. And we want to watch that happen in, in every neighborhood. And we're going to pray for that to happen in every neighborhood. So, so how do we push, how are we to be spiritual fathers and mothers in our workplace? And why does that even matter? Uh, it's work. You know, the largest mission field when I was uh, in my vocational job, I engaged daily and weekly, uh, was at my workplace. I literally got to engage 200 people a day. And for most of us, that's the case. The largest mission field we walk into is our workplace. And so, how are we at our job? Do we do our job well? Are we respected at our job? Do we treat people well? Are we joyful? Are we grumpy? Does our demeanor reflect Christ? And if we're a supervisor or a boss or a leader or something, are we fair to our people? Or do we even know our people? Do we know anything about them? Are we interested to know anything about them? Or are we just interested in what they can produce? God tells us in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And yeah, I know many of you probably have, might have a not fun job right now. Or maybe it's just a really bad boss right now. I don't know. But in all the jobs, and my 40 years of working vocation that I had. Uh, and that was multiple jobs, many times moved not by my choice. Uh, and some of them really, really good. And some of them not so good. But God gave me opportunities to disciple and mentor countless number of people that I otherwise would have never encountered. Maybe in that job that you don't like, God has you 
uniquely gifted you and placed you uh, to be a spiritual father or mother to someone that maybe in his sovereign plan is for you to be there to help draw someone to him. It took me a long time to get to that point uh, to realize that. Uh, after giving opportunity after opportunity uh, to mentor countless people. And Paul reminded the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4 that they had countless guides, but not many fathers. I don't think there's any place that that's any truer than the workplace. There's all kinds of people to give you advice, give you career advice, but there's not many fathers to care for you. It doesn't matter what we do, what our vocation is, our job. Uh, We are serving the Lord Christ. Do it heartily unto the Lord. And so how does all of this tie back to Titus 2? At the end of chapter 1 in Titus, uh, Paul had been correcting uh, some behavior and some false teaching. And in the last verse, he said, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable disobedient, unfit for any good work. And as he starts to, but as unto you, but as for you, sorry, but as for you, he's writing to Titus, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is that? It's to mature. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and their children and on and on. Uh, Sound doctrine is to continue to mature. And they become spiritual fathers and mothers and pass that on. Married, single, it doesn't matter. We're to grow up, mature, and be spiritual fathers and mothers to those around us. And sometimes that has nothing to do with age. Nothing I learn from young people every week. And as a church, we have a great opportunity with so many young Christians, whether that's in our kids' ministry, youth ministry, college students, our peer groups, a lot of young marrieds. We're all called to mature and teach the next generation. Uh, 
watch kids, elementary kids look up to junior high kids. Whatever they do, they're going to do. Junior high kids look up to high school kids. High school kids look up to college students. And so on and so on. And uh, I played baseball my entire life and always had coaches calling it out. You need to be a leader. You need to be a leader. We need leaders on this team. I, that never resonated with me for whatever reason until I got a coach who said, you are a leader. Younger players, players not as good as you are watching you. So most of the time you're a terrible leader, but you are a leader. And, so, and that's, we are leaders. Peers around us, those less mature than us are going to look to us. How are we leading them? That's just the reality. They're going to follow our example, whether we like it or not. Let's leave them a good one. Let me close with this scripture. Matthew 28 18 20, 18 through 20, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, therefore, and make disciples. In the Greek, it's translated as you are going, on your way. And so for all of us, as we are going, we need to be spiritual fathers and mothers that are making disciples and teaching people about Jesus.